So we've been studying the order of Melchizedek. All right, the priestly lineage. And this particular lineage has been so profound. And what it has been established is that it was established, this priesthood was established before the law, before Aaron and the Levites and Moses. There was a priesthood, a, a group of individuals that studied what God has done and what he is doing in order that the people of God wouldn't be lost. And every Melchizedekian order, priesthood order, had a high priest. And that high priest operated as king, prophet, and priest. <laughs> I said it already, <laughs> right? King, prophet, and priest. And then he, his responsibility was to teach the rest of those who felt that they were called into the priesthood with the possibility and propensity of being a high priest one day to teach them the laws, to go back over the testament of Adam, to go back over the testament of Noah, to show them what God had declared in Enoch, what Enoch was preaching, what Noah was preaching for 120 years, to repeat it, to say it so they could see it, and they would know how they fit in. Hello? That's what we've been studying. We've been looking at books of the Apocrypha, even though the name sounds terrible, it is not a bad name, okay? It just means books that were not included in this anthology of books, because the Bible is an anthology of other books, and these books did not make the last Canaan or canon, the canonized scripture, which is perfectly fine because they attest to the validity of these scriptures and these scriptures attest to the validity of those. So if de facto, when they discovered them 75 years ago, hello, somebody rediscovered them, 75 years ago to this year, it celebrated the 75th anniversary of those uh, uh, Qumran scrolls being found, the Dead Sea Scrolls, I'm sure you heard of that. All right, this marks the 75th year anniversary of their discovery. So even Christ is reported to quote from the book of Enoch, which is in those scrolls. Does that make sense? So, so all of these things, all we did was broaden our study and understanding the priesthood because when Genesis shows us the royal priest or the high priest, uh, the king of Salem, all right, the king of righteousness and peace, and we found his name to be Shem in the book of Genesis, all right, Jasher points that out to us, that by the time he shows up and has uh, and breaks bread and has wine. He brings bread and wine to Abraham in the book of Genesis to Abraham. Abraham came before Moses. Moses brought in the Levite priesthood. So this priesthood was before and surpasses the Levite priesthood. Amen. Does that make sense? And Abraham paid tithes to this prince, to this, this priest, this king, after the order of Melchizedek, Shem, which was a son of Noah. Yes? All right. So this breaking of bread and wine was how they, they participated in the sacrifice and in introducing Abraham as the next chief high priest. Because the previous high priest came and broke bread and had wine. When we take communion as New Testament believers, what seldom people think to understand is that Christ inducted this particular method of the Last Supper with bread and wine in order to point to Genesis and the Melchizedekian priesthood. And then Paul comes up in Hebrews and teaches for 13 chapters about how we are supposed to be the next Melchizedekian priesthood. All right. 
this is, this is a huge deal. And I've often asked, why bread and wine? Why bread and wine? We can definitely see it when Christ said, this is my body. We're taking communion, as you can tell, after the sermon today. This is my blood, right? Right? We can definitely see, okay, bread kind of looked like body, but he could have used meat. Could have used lamb. Hello? That made more sense. They got lamb. I love lamb. Could you imagine if we had lamb for communion? Communion. Sweet communion. But bread and wine is what was used because the food artifact itself was not nearly as important as its symbolism. The symbolism would be determined by the word made flesh named Christ Jesus, who's going to show up in several thousand years. But the concept of eating, okay, there's only two ways for the most part without surgery, okay, or medical procedures that anything could enter your body. You have to ingest it, hello somebody, or you have to have sex with it. How's there, how old is everybody? Oh yeah, I'm fine, all right? Okay, <laughs> two ways. The food that you eat, tell me if I'm right or wrong, has the propensity to alter your physical body. Hello? It has the ability to change your flesh? Excuse me? Food has the ability to change your flesh. Does food have the ability to change your mood? Does food have the ability to change your mood? Huh, interesting, right? What we're going to see in the book of Hebrews is that there are two things that they compare when it comes to sins that are dangerous for New Testament believers. Hello? He compares the morsel of Esau to fornication and whoredom. Why? Why? Because sleeping with someone is the only other way that a part of their DNA gets ingested into your body and thus has the propensity to alter your, does it alter your physical body, ladies? Oh, does it alter your mindset and emotions, man? Oh, interesting. It got real uncomfortable in here. It was like, yes. What are you saying? Because if I was God, or since he is God, and he says every seed shall produce after its own kind was a law he established upon creation. And if I was Satan and I wanted to make my own seeds in God's earth, hello somebody, then I need to infiltrate humanity. I need to get my stuff in them. Oh, y'all don't want to play fair today. Hello, somebody. Y'all, well, Pastor, we're trying to say you just, you just, people sleeping with, with the succubus? Probably, but that's not even where I'm going with that, all right? I'm not even trying to go down the succubus, incubus, the demons riding me. I just want you to look at basic, how God basically set up the symbolism. You take this bread and wine as a covenant to say, I belong to the Father and I await his return. That's what you do. Make sense? So he knows when this is out, it ain't like your regular meals. This is different. He said, don't even come here hungry with that because this ain't for that. This is different. This is set apart, right? So you take this procedure of baptism, of, of communion, of lifting your hands in praise and worship because it's supposed to mean something. Now, a um, police officer come to you and say, put your hands up. 
But the Lord say it. Um, do I have to see? See how challenging this is to your flesh? Because there is only one way to get you to change and Satan knew it. If I could get humanity to produce my seed, then I might have the ability to win. Pride makes you think some dumb stuff. So he's got to get his agenda in you. How? How? Well, similar to how Christ's agenda gets in you through your belief and then your action of taking this communion. Is it in the bread? No. Is it in the wine? No. It's what you understand that is happening as you're taking in this bread and wine and what you understand as a heart relationship with the Father. So Satan knows it ain't in the sex, not the act itself. It's in the mental agreement that you made when you decided to participate. The mental agreement you made when you decided to click on that website. The mental agreement that you made when you decided to pop that pill, smoke that joint, drink that next bottle. It ain't just these things that affect you physically and emotionally and mentally. It's the fact that you are now participating in rites of passage to Satan's kingdom. And he knows what that means. Oh, look, they're willing. He's willing. She's willing. Doesn't this mean you're willing? Doesn't this holy table mean you're willing? You're willing to live for Christ, willing to die for Christ, willing to let him be the Lord of your life. Doesn't this covenant here mean you're willing? And there are actions that we commit when Satan, he says, now they are willing. You got rebellious? Didn't want to heed wisdom? Wanted to stay prideful? They're willing. That's an action that is indicative of your willingness to be used by me. Similar to how this is an action that is indicative of your willingness to be used by God. Communion is the same action. Baptism is the same action. But it says you're willing to be used for the will of God. And there are certain actions that Satan knows you've made yourself susceptible to his use. So who you date ain't something casual. What two things are necessary for a relationship? Say them again. I don't care what kind of relationship it is. It just takes time and attention. Hello? You couple that with attraction. Huh? Now you got yourself a recipe for disaster if God didn't say. Not about the person. Because who, who can know that? If he didn't say about the timing. Timing is far more important than person. Timing is easier for you to know than the person. Because when it comes to timing, God controls timing. Hello, somebody. So you will meet this person at this time. He preordained. Hello, somebody. But you trying to figure out the wherewithals of a person is very hard. Will we last? Will we make it? Will we go to distance? Will we get divorced? Will we get mad? Trying to figure that out from your perspective is extremely challenging. Yeah. You don't know somebody crazy till it's too late. You're crazy. You're absolutely crazy. Why did I see this? All the signs was there. I was blinded by love. I was blinded by lust. So, so you trying to figure that out? 
is more challenging than God's perfect timing. It's easier for you to understand whether this is the time in your life because he's giving you the wherewithal to understand seasons. Pastor, I feel like it's time for me to look for a wife. You got some money? You know, I'm working on trying to build, you know, working on, I'm working on. Because wife means family, family means money. You got some money? Hello, somebody. Because it takes two to tango. <laughs> Hello? Best, I think it's time for me to start dating. Have you controlled your flesh? I mean, I ain't really been fooling around, but when you had opportunity, did you? If the answer is yes, then no. See how that worked? Some of y'all say, I ain't been doing nothing because you haven't had opportunity. So I go back to the last time you had opportunity when you was home by yourself and when you was away on vacation. Hello, somebody. When you got off work early. Hello? When they just hit you up for Netflix and chill. Huh? All I want to know is when you had opportunity, how did you respond? I don't want to hear about nothing else. It's been 18 years since I ever, mm -hmm, but you ain't, but ain't nobody ever really gave you opportunity. Not anybody of any character that you would consider. Hello? Like, hey, I'm going to your house. You, no, no, thank you. You, you was not tempted by that person. <laughs> hey, baby. No, you're not tempted by her. I want to know the one you wanted. The one that was good enough or just too good to be true. What did you do? Uh -uh, hello? Huh? I'm preaching. I'm preaching, Betty. Because whatever action that was indicated to whose side you were more willing to be used by. Oh, I'm preaching, Betty, y'all. Oh, y'all better say amen because you know it's right. I proved it already by scripture. Quit being hard-hearted and stubborn and stiff-necked. <laughs> it's hard to hear. Ugh. Yes. Because you need to be aware of Satan's devices, the Bible says. The sin isn't the issue because Christ paid it all. Sins past, prior, and future. What is the issue is who your willingness is showing that you're, you're for. How easy is it for God to use you? Versus how easy is it for Satan? It's that simple. Is it hard for... Praise the Lord. Clap your hands. Hey, Sister Dutch, Dutch, you want to come to church? The service starts at 11. You want to come help with this? Hello? Versus, hey, you want to go grab a joint? You want to go hit up that club? You want to come to my house? You want to watch this show? You want to eat the, the meat on the fast? All of these things <laughs> indicates to Satan how susceptible you are to being used by him. Dr. Say, say, ah, you say. Ah. It's testings. Soundings being taken to see. Hello, somebody. I am trying to grow a body of warriors 
that looks like they are unsusceptible, unpenetrable. Now we are penetrable, but we look like we are unpenetrable to the things of Satan. We look like we ain't playing no games with the devil. We look like we always team Jesus. We look like we ain't ever gonna lose in Christ. We look like that is all Jesus, though he slay me yet when I trust him. We look like we always want him. I try to train a bunch of warriors to at least mimic what I do until it's fully formed in you. Because that's what the Bible calls discipleship. I can't even get you to mimic. Imagine what would have happened if Brother David or Brother Jeremiah did not lift their hands. Hello? They did. Don't worry about that. Hello, somebody. But could you imagine if they would have been like, I don't know who she thinks she is. She ain't talking to me. Could you imagine the slaughter spiritually that would have happened in this house? Hello, somebody. Because when it comes to God and his authority, we do not play any games. And unfortunately, when you walk in this door, I am the authority that speaks for God today. Want to find another one? Pick another day. Go to another church. But this is the one you in today. This is the one you're going to hear from. Hello, somebody. So when God says through me, Lift your hands, and if they, and they were not, absolutely refuse, do you know what kind of turmoil that will cause? Because I am not about prestige and numbers. I believe that any believer that walks in this house understands the voice of God and knows how to submit. They may not have did it in it. They didn't know that was the thing, you know, but this is the thing. This is what we're going to do. Yes? And anywhere you go. Now, let's take it from there because that's simple. That's sweet, and I thank you guys for allowing me to use you for that jovial part of the service, for the fun part. But let's go deeper to when there's somebody in the house that won't stop fraternizing. That won't stop, what is fraternizing? That means won't start liking each other under the, under the guise that we don't like each other, but we might like each other. Hello, somebody. And they both in the house. Hello? If I see one injured, or both injured, and I say, it's not a good time for either one of you, hello? And they say, we're going to do it anyway. Imagine what has to come next. Why? Because Satan is running a test to see, are you more susceptible to be used by him or more susceptible to be used by God? If the person that is quasi a leader for Christ, you could even take me down like she really ain't even that much of a pastor. okay? and that she's just a quasi leader spokesman for God. Hello, somebody. Will, Will you still obey? Will you be more inclined? Does it have to be dictated or can it be advised? What level are you willing to be used by God? Somebody got to do a lot of persuasion to get me to kill somebody. I mean, it's got to be, situations have to be ripe. Things have to be chaotic. I could be about losing my mind. Then you got to give me a gun. Then you got to make it seem like they're coming to kill me. Then you got to, you know, it's just a lot of things that have to, it's a lot of factors that got to go on. So in that case, I am not susceptible to be used for Satan's plan. 
When the pastor say, how about you don't do that for right now? And you say, how about I do it anyway? This is an indicator of how susceptible or lack thereof you are to be used according to the will of God. It has nothing to do with the request. Because God can tell you, don't eat this meat today, and then it's okay to eat the meat tomorrow. The real problem is where your heart was in that meantime. I'm preaching better than y'all acting today. Under the study of understanding the Melchizedekian priesthood, preparing for the Melchizedek or the order of, the, of, of Melchizedek, uh, today we're going to look at a sermon entitled, It's the Walk for Me. We have a colloquialism that says, it's the blank for me. It means that of all of the things, all of my non-people that don't understand urban, new urban slang and legos, even though this is an old one by now, you might have missed it, but the phrase is, it's the blank for me, okay? And you fill in the blank with whatever it is for you. You know, out of the whole outfit, it's the shoes for me. I, out of the whole thing, it's the hair for me. Hello? And so what you're indicating is an amen on that. You're saying that out of all the things that I noticed, this is the thing that grabs my attention the most. Hello, somebody. This is the thing that gets my attention out of everything else, the thing that I cannot seem to take my mind off of, the thing that I just cannot quite seem to go look past. And so now I'm telling you today's sermon is it's the walk for me. What trips us up the most is the walk. Hello, somebody. Literally. Trips us up the most. It's the Christian walk. What we can't figure out the most is the Christian walk. What we don't know if we're doing it right is the Christian walk. It's the walk for me. You can tell me doctrine. You can tell me theology. You can tell me your feelings. You can tell me what you sense in your spirit. But at the end of the day, I get tripped up most often by how do I walk it out? How do I live it every day? It's the walk for me, Pastor. It's the walk. Last week, we ended, understand, ended with understanding the superiority of Christ, Christ's sacrifice in Hebrews in chapters 9 and 10. We came to the conclusion, and some of the high points in that, is that as Paul began to discuss the journey of the children of Israel out of Egypt, that God said, I took you by the hand and led you through the wilderness. And last week we looked at God taking you by the hand, hello somebody, and leading you through the wilderness so that you'd be ready at the point where he let goes of your hand, stands on the other side of the Jordan, and then tells you to come. There were two crossings of significance. The first was the Red Sea with Pharaoh and the enemy that drowned in it. The second was the Jordan. There was even a third crossing of significance, but it was also the Jordan. Red Sea, Jordan. Red Sea, crossing from freedom of bondage. Uh, Jordan, crossing into the promise. Two important crossings. So he led you by the hand out of bondage. Yes? It's what we discussed last week. And how the children of Israel kept taking their hand out of God's hand. 
feel like they needed something else, something faster. Moses to come down sooner. Water before it was time for water. Meat before it was time for meat. And so they would take their hand out of God and start complaining about where is this and why don't we have that and why is this working? And God would provide it. Then he'd take their hand again and lead them through it. But he understood one thing. There is a day that is marked where you need to learn how to cross over. And I'm not dragging you into your promise. You have to choose it. Pastor won't say, lift your hands. Pastor won't say, I don't think you should date right now. Pastor won't say, I think you should not, I think you should reevaluate that job opportunity. I think, Pastor won't say nothing. Why? Because God ain't saying nothing. You just have to see him on the other side and cross. Now instantly, beads of sweat began to pour off your head. Because you know, if nobody else know what your wilderness experience has been looking like, you know how many times I snatched my hand out of the hand of God. You know how many times I bickered and complained. You know how many times I rushed something. And you're looking at your track going, I don't even know if I'm going to be able. Because you said, Pastor, they didn't even think that they could win. I don't. It, it's the walk for me, Pastor. I just need a warning beep. Hello, somebody. It can, can God give me a warning? Beep, 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 beep. Can I get a backup camera? Come on, somebody. Can God just give me something, a minute to see, a minute to think, a minute to realize if I'm making the same mistake again? It seems like everything is moving so fast that my life keeps happening day after day after day after day. And then before you know it, I'm not even on the right course I was supposed to be on. Like, Lord, if we're going to cross over to SI, can you give me a warning? If I got off, uh, if I got off the, the track, hello, somebody. Because I, I don't want to get there and not see you. I don't want to know. I don't want to not see you in the promise and all I see is the enemy. Huh? I want to see you, hello, somebody, standing on the other side and not the fear of Satan and what Satan could do to my life. And, and, and before we get there, hello, somebody. God, can anybody ever felt that way? Can you just give me like a, a like my, my car got beep up, it got beep warnings. It, it got parking and, 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 and size warnings. It, it beep you, okay? It'd be like beep, beep, too close. Beep, 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 too close. You're too close to the other car. And some people don't have that in their car. And I'd be thinking that maybe other people turn theirs off because they don't like how aggravating it is. And I, and I <laughs> because one time, I was parked beside Danielle, and she backed out before me. And as she turned to make sure she didn't hit the cars behind her, her front end slowly started turning in towards my car. And I was sitting in my passenger seat going, beep, 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 beep. <laughs> One time, Mother Bell was backing out of her parking space in a hurry. And she didn't look to the behind her and see that Minister Hudson's black car behind him. And I was waving going, beep, 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 beep. Sometimes you just want a nice warning. Like, Lord, if you're going to let go of my hand and bid me to come to where you are, can I get a backup camera? 
Hello, somebody. Can I get a warning? I mean, I don't know. Can I get a minute to think about it? Can I have some time? It just seems like everything is moving so fast. I get so angry. I get so lonely. I get so depressed. I get so hurt. I get so frustrated. And it seems like when I really need clarity, everything starts moving so fast. And, and I start feeling things so greatly. And I can't tell if it's the rain from the storm or the tears from my eyes. All I know is that I just need a warning sign from you to let me know if I'm still on the right path before you put me on that crossover. Yes, Lord. Do I have any witnesses today? Yes, Seems like real life just keeps moving. And I'm just trying to figure out if I'm going in the right direction. Some of my teens are getting older. And things are happening in their lives. And they could feel that what pastor is preaching and what she sees that I'm supposed to be. I don't even know if I'm going in that direction. And then my friends, they tell me it's all right not to go in that direction. And so now the storm is tossing me back and forth. And I got adults that are not teens. They're in the same situation. Hello, somebody. Where I feel that I feel that God is calling me. Hello, somebody. But it seems as if I might not be moving in the right direction of his calling. Every time I look up, there was another test that I failed. Every time I look up, there was another situation I didn't get right. Every time I look up, it seems like the things just keep happening so speedily. Hello, somebody. And I just can't seem to keep up with if I am going. Can I just get a, a backup camera, a warning signal? Is there a safe place I could run to for a second? He'd be like, ho, 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 this is a lot. Let me just go over here and just process for a second. But before I could even process, it already happened. I already responded. I already did the thing. I already said the thing. I already moved over there, took that job, got that person, did this, and it all happened so fast. I just want to know, is there a place I can go to know if I'm on the right path? The children of Israel were given, once they crossed over, before they crossed over, their entire journey in the wilderness, through Moses, God dwelled in their midst. And Moses would go inquire of the Lord on their behalf if anybody got uneasy, if they weren't sure if this is the right way, the right method, the right mode. Moses would inquire on their behalf. And after all of that inquiring was done, God would give Moses laws. And the children of Israel, from that point on, followed what the New Testament calls the laws of Moses. I want you to hear this because sometimes you think that pastors aren't supposed to lay laws in your personal. But the laws that got you out of your bondage, the laws that got you out of the wilderness, are the ones that were supposed to train you for your promise. Oh, there were the laws of Moses. He could have said the laws of God. But these were the laws that God inspired Moses to write for the season of the time that Israel needed it. When that season was done, they no longer needed those laws. The laws of Moses were done. 
fulfilled. Old covenant, fulfilled. New covenant there. Y'all want new covenant blessings, but you have not heeded the laws of renewed worship center under the pastor of Taliba, Shantae Durham. But you want freedoms to be all out here living your best life. But I can't even see how well you handle these. Hello? Who are you more willing to be used by? Somebody said, well, Pastor, it's a lot on the line because you could cause me to miss my one true love. I said, well, if that's the case, and I don't think it is, that we understand that you are here for one purpose and one purpose only, to find your one true love in a human form. I, on the other hand, have found my one true love. He is not on this earth. Hello, somebody. So everything else comes secondary to that. It's a matter of priority and values. Hello? I, I, I'm approving. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching, buddy. I'm like that. So am I walking a straight line? I mean, I'm holding his hand. Am I going in the right direction? We discussed last week in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, we discussed that through his sacrifice or through Christ's sacrifice, his blood was shed as a necessary payment of sin so that we can now commune with God. Just as the children of Israel had a safe place they could run into, a tent in their midst of the tribes of Israel. Hello, somebody. Then we, as the promised receivers of a better covenant, have God in our individual midst. That we get to go into with him, commune with him. Figure out if this is where I'm supposed to be, where I'm supposed to go. That is our safe place. This church as a physical structure and this mouth as a physical human being represents symbolically the same thing that is established in your heart. Hello, somebody. These two places should agree. Similar to how the kingdom of God within man should reflect the actual kingdom of God in heaven. Amen. I'll say it again. Just as the kingdom of God, which is found within man through Christ, is in you, reflects the kingdom of heaven, the actual location, those two things should agree. Make sense? Similar, this church and the safe place here should agree with the communion and meditation of your heart with God in you. When they don't agree, we have problems. One of us is off. I'm not pointing no el elbows. <laughs> it could be me. It could be. It's possible. I'm not perfect in leadership. Hello? It could be. So far, similar to Moses, I have a pretty clean record under the grace of God that the, that the children of Israel might follow Moses. That was what God did so they could trust to follow him. Amen? So I'll take no pride in that. Hello? But secondarily, let's say you are the one I make the mistake on. I tell you you should stop doing something, and it was about to be your, your best thing ever. It'll still be your best thing ever. It'll still be your best thing ever. Because he ain't going to let me mess up nothing he has planned for you. 
Hello, somebody. So the issue then isn't whether pastor is right or you are right. The issue is whether you will trust and still submit to God even when you don't like it. Even when you don't agree. And then the real issue is, why don't you agree? Why does it the meditation of your heart and the words of your mouth, why are they not acceptable in the household of faith? That's the real question. And believers have been asked to take temporary leave because when you meditate and you come back to me, what you meditated on with the words of your mouth, they don't agree. So before I abuse you and force you into something that you disagree with, why don't you take some time? Come back when you agree. Hello, somebody. When you've meditated on the things of God in you and you can see how what I was saying in this house, it lines up. And even though you may not like it, even though you wish it wasn't the case, I still see that that was good. That was right. And I'm sorry that I had to make that mistake. But I thank God that I had an opportunity to see and meditate with God for myself, to sit down at his feet, to walk into his presence and know for sure that I am where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be there what we're missing in the body of Christ is that preachers are so afraid to lose members to lose tithes and offerings to lose the count they try not to speak on your personal life because they know we're going to disagree and when a leader knows that you are not acting According to the dictates of the word of God and your confession of your faith, they have the responsibility to do something about it in the household of faith. I don't come to your house and take your keys and, and, and lock you in your room. I only handle what you can do at the church. Make sense? So I have the responsibility here. Nobody wants to do that because it means people have to go. If they go, it means it looks like you're unsuccessful. Hello, somebody. But I recognize something. That I am not here to be successful by man's standards. I am here to raise up a bunch of warriors that look like Satan, I'm not going to be used by you. They look like I don't want to be used. I don't want to part of your will. I don't want to be in your seed. I don't want to be over where you are. And if that means I suffer and I can't have a friend and I suffer and I ain't got no boyfriend and I ain't got no girlfriend and I, own, so I don't ever seem to have that I just suffer. Hello? The issues in this walk, I'm trying to figure out how to do it. <laughs> Pastor, we at odds because I'm trying to figure out how to walk it. Now, I'm trying to explain. I didn't tell you to let go yet. <laughs> you can still hold on. But if you feel this is your time, for this is your Jordan crossing, all right, then cross on. I'll stand here and wait. Did it part? Did it open? <laughs> Did it shut down on you? Did you not make it over? How about we, we just come back and finish training? Let, let's finish training. Hello, somebody. I hope God didn't even see that. He did he didn't, he didn't even see that covering. He didn't even see it. Just, I don't know who, who, who said that. Who, who said not me? I, I, I was holding your hand the whole, whole time. Remember the time because I had your pinky just a little bit. Remember I had it just a little bit. 
I didn't let go completely. And that is true. Amen. Amen. So if God is still calling me after all that I have done, after all the mistakes I have made, after all the pride, after all the insecurity, which is the same coin. Hello, somebody. After all my waywardness, after all of my ignorance, after all of my lack of understanding, after all of my selfishness, after all of my egocentrism, after all that I have done, after all the wrong turns, after all the slipping ups, I said I wasn't going to do that no more. I said this time was going to be different. And if God is still calling me, if he is still fooling up with me, if he still has plan and purpose, if he still has destiny, pastor, can you tell me how to walk it out? I'm glad you asked. Can you speak a word? I never knew I needed you to preach a word so bad. But I've come in the house today, Pastor, because I need you to preach a word that will instruct. Oh, y'all don't want to play fair today. I, I, I used to feel like it wasn't that big of a deal. But I need to come in. I need you to preach a word and tell me, do I put my foot to the left or to the right? Pastor, I got to take another step. Do I go over here or go over there? I need a word of instruction. I need a word of encouragement. Oh, God, I need a word that's supposed to take me to where you are. Somehow I slip up. Somehow the tempest starts raging. And before you know it, I'm sinking again. But if by some miraculous point, God has erased and cleansed all of my sin. And he would beckon me to sit at his feet again and hear words of instruction. Not words that are self-generated from my own desires, but with a true heart, I want to say and say, Father, really, I want to get this right. I hope Pastor didn't even notice how rebellious I was. I hope she didn't even see how stiff-hearted I really was. I hope she didn't know how bad I talked about her. Jesus covered under the blood because I feel like you're about to use her to speak a word. Oh, see, that has, I, I hope she don't even pick up how I felt the other day because I need her to be used by you to speak another word. I need you to use this woman of God because it's the only woman of God I know that's been living what she's been preaching. It's the only person that I've seen the inside and outside of their life and they actually is doing it. There's probably other people, but it's the only one in my circle. And I need that woman of God to preach a word of a Instruction. God, I, I don't know if I'm going to do it. But I know I need it. I need you to calm the sea. I need you to put me on course. Somehow, I need you to help me put this in reverse. Because if you're calling me, I need to walk a straight path. Christianity has done, modern Christianity has done the body of Christ a disservice in that we tell you you don't have to walk a straight path in order to be considered a Christian, that his grace is sufficient. Mm. That's for a time. Hello, somebody. And I'm going to prove it to you. His grace is always sufficient, but there is a point where he begins to look for something from you.
Hello? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. On last week, I ended with chapter Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. And, and that verse is that excerpt of verses 19, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, was such a good section of verses to, to conclude the entire message from last week. But I forgot to read it. I preached it, preached from chapters 8 to chapter 9, got you all the way to chapter 10, and then the closing verse, I explained it, but didn't give it to you. It was such a perfect verse for last week's message that even after the altar call and people went home, whoever was here, I said, guys, I feel led by the Spirit of God to read this verse. And then, something I've never done before, I asked the office and the administrator to post that verse last Sunday. So if anybody wanted to meditate on something, they could meditate on that. And the verses read, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holies of holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated or opened for us through the veil, which that is to say his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised and let us consider one another to provoke unto the unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another so much more as ye see the day approaching so we discussed that now that the children of Israel has fulfilled the old testament and the old covenant law fulfilled in Christ there's no more veil and there's no more lambs to be slain. The lamb himself was God Almighty made in flesh. And he has made recompense for all of our sins because he was perfect. This recompense doesn't mean that it's just forgiveness of sins. What it allowed is the forgiveness of sins, the payment for your sin, so that you can enter into the holies of holies and talk to God yourself. But what we've come to realize is what is happening is people are not really going to the holies of holies. Even though you're supposed to be shown in church how to go from the soulish out courts, outer courts. The outermost court was the flesh. The innermost tabernacle was the soul. And the holies of holies was the spirit. The church's responsibility is to teach you how to move through the desires of your flesh through the desires of your soul and get into the place where you desire what God desires. Hello, somebody into the holies of holies. We have access to talk to God about that through the blood of Christ, because without the shedding of blood, there is no payment for sin. And he never wanted sheep and goats and precious little animals to be started in the first place, but he needed to fulfill the law so that he could commune with us some kind of way. So Moses did that and was able to commune. Then Christ comes and Christ says, here I am, a body that you have prepared. You never really wanted to sacrifice in the first place, but I come in obedience that others might have the opportunity through my sacrifice to come and talk to you directly having their evil conscience sprinkled with my blood hello we're now the whole testament all the word of God all the Bible is written on their hearts and in their minds and I don't really have to go to Shem or Noah or even the church to know God 
That's not why you come here. You don't come here to know God. You come here so that I could affirm what you know. You already know when you're wrong. And you know I'm about to affirm that you're wrong. You already know what God said. And you know I'm about to affirm what he said. Hello, somebody. How is it written? Because Christ became flesh. And when you see Christ crucified and you see him through truth, raised from the dead and ascended to heaven, you recognize that everything you need to know about God is in that one action. Well, should I endure not having a friend right now? Then you look at Jesus on the cross. Yep. Should I endure all the pain that my job is taking me through? Then you look at Jesus on the cross. Yep. Should I endure the traffic? Then you look at Jesus on the cross. Yep. Should I endure this person flicking me off? Jesus on the cross. Yep. All of a sudden, everything that you have questions about God and all you got to do is look at Jesus on the cross and it becomes very evident what your next step should be. I'm just here to encourage you to take it anyhow. And to fight off Satan in case he beguiled you. Because you have a habit of being more susceptible to his use than God's. But I know that habit is not your desire. You're just a Satan tactic addict. You. <laughs> Hello? You ever met an addict that wanted to be free? I, I've met plenty of addicts that want to be free. They desire it. They desire it a whole lot. They desire to be free. And they can't figure out how to get this freedom. They want to be whole. And they can't figure out how to be whole. Hello, somebody. See, I got folk in here that need encouragement to take that next step with God. And then I got people that have been, been beguiled by Satan. They got habits of disobeying, habits of lending themselves to Satan. And they want to be free from that habit because in them is a spirit of righteousness. So I take them by the hand. I take them by the hand. Pastor, you don't be taking me. I take them by the hand. When I see that you are prone, more susceptible to Satan's use than God's use, if I am your pastor, I take you by the hand. And I hope to train other leaders after me that will take the next group by the hand. Because some of us want to be free. Hello, somebody. Some of us really want to be free. Some of us don't want to keep making the same mistakes. Some of us don't want to keep thinking the same way. Some of us don't want to keep messing up and tripping up. Some of us don't want to keep looking like this. Some of us see flashes of what God has called me to be and do. Some of us remember that, oh, I'm preaching, buddy. Anyway, let's move on. I, the, the word to do it. Let me, let me get you back to the word. So let's pick up in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26. Because Paul picks up, now remember Hebrews is written to the Sadducees and Pharisees, the scribes, the royal priesthood of, of Jesus' day. And what Paul is trying to convince these royal priests, these high priests, the council, the same ones that crucified Christ, is y'all still need to come to Christ. Now they done crucified him, okay? Paul is now preaching to them and saying, you still need to accept Christ as the Messiah, because he got up. This 
is a hard bunch to preach to. Because, Paul, in order for me to accept Christ, I have to face the wrong that I've done. Have you ever done something so wrong that you just couldn't bring yourself to really fully embrace the magnitude of what you've done? Because this would mean that somehow I have offended God himself. Somehow I have participated in my comments or lack of comments in my actions or deeds in my selling of silver. Somehow I have participated in crucifying God afresh. Nah, uh, Pastor, I ain't going to agree to that. There's a part of you that says, no, I love God. I couldn't be that wrong. Paul is appealing to a bunch of priests who love God. Who missed a test and an opportunity. And he's trying to be the beep, 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 beep. The warning, 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 warning to say this covenant is coming to a close because 15 years later from this preaching, the tabernacle is destroyed and there has not been and will not be until the book of Revelation any more sacrifices of sheep, lambs, and goats. Not in Israel until we get to the last days. And it's not because that's what God wanted. So he was trying to preach to him, hey, y'all better... Y'all better cross on over. Hey, hey, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Let me show you why you was wrong. And for 13 chapters, Paul is trying to explain to these people that loved God, that dedicated their lives to serving God, how they missed it. And he's beseeching them to cross over. But this ain't just missing it. Like, oh, I dated somebody and we fooling around. No. This ain't, oh, I shouldn't have made that, told that lie. Oh, I, sh I shouldn't have. Oh, this is bigger than that. If you say we missed it and we were supposed to be in the know, this can't be right. Because I am the best of what Christianity has to offer. So I know I, I couldn't be wrong. I am Israel. I am astute and studied. This is my opportunity to rise up and show that I know that that's not the Messiah. And that rising up crucified him. So Paul comes along after the deed is done and says, God is putting an end to this time and season of your life. It's time for a new season. Are you ready? Let's go. But you're not going to go because you have to admit that what you were doing wasn't right. And how you were looking at things wasn't right. And you would much prefer to just gloss over all of that. We ain't got to worry about that. We ain't even got to acknowledge that. Let's just thank God that I'm here right now. But there's an acceptable way to serve God. And that's what we're going to look at. 
Are you in Hebrews 20, 10, 26? Hebrews verse 26 says, for if we sin willfully, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation that will, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected whose law? Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the spirit of grace? Stop right there. It's the walk for me. We all have been in this seat of sinning willfully. Hello? You can say, well, technically ain't a sin. That's fine. You want God to deal with your life with technicalities? Or do you want grace? Ah, interesting. You don't want him to take a fine tooth comb and tit for tat you. Hello? Because we'd be undone. You need him to apply grace. So maybe you should receive his grace. Hello? But nevertheless, he says, For if we sin willfully after we have received knowledge of the truth. Stop right there. So apparently, sin is defined by what truth you were taught. And you are sinning willfully when you go against the truth you were taught. That just makes perfect sense, doesn't it? It's very clear, yes? It's so simple, but sometimes people make things so complicated so they can do wrong. Huh? You were taught truth. Did you do that? No. Then you willfully did your own thing. You don't want to call it sin? That's fine. It was your will and not the will that showed and revealed what you were taught. Yes? I have, to, I have to keep punching this idea home about taught, and it's going to come up again. Because there are ways that you have been taught. Yes? Didn't you get in trouble when you didn't do what your parents taught you to do? How your parents taught you to respond? Didn't you have some, 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 something to pay for not doing what they taught you how to do? Even though Sally and that other family over there, she didn't have to do that. Did your parents care that they didn't have to do that? No, what they want to know is what were you taught? I don't know what Sally got going on in their household. I don't know what kind of gospel they over there preaching. I don't know what kind of sheep they over there raising. I don't know what kind of vision they have for their church. But as for you that have been taught and raised, is it getting sticky? It's getting, it's getting sticky in here because now you're starting to look at all your little things that you thought were little and wondering if that was a part of it. Let's move on. Make sense? So he says, but a certain fearful expectation. What I love about these verses is says, anyone who has rejected Moses' law in the book of Enoch, the book of Jasher, Genesis, Exodus, the entire Pentateuch reveals to us that there were certain laws and commands and even judgments that Moses rendered. Yeah. 
as he saw the pattern of what God showed him. That he said, it's good that we don't do this. And it's good that we wash our hands. And, it's good. and these laws were instituted based off of the season that children of Israel were in by the established leader. The same thing happens in the New Testament. Who was given keys to the kingdom? That whatsoever they bound shall be bound, and whatsoever they loose shall be loose. The apostles were given the authority to determine what is considered good for the church and what is considered not good for the church. What says you are in and what says you are out? Make sense? Same authority. So if, if God says, thou shalt not fornicate, the sin is fornication. Yes? If you come to my house and I let you, let's say I got bedrooms for everybody. Hello, somebody. And you say, well, can me and such and such share a room? But I got rooms for everybody. Hello, somebody. And I know that fornication is a sin. Hello? And I've been seeing how y'all been interacting. And you want to ask me, cordially speaking, Pastor, because ain't nobody going to do that in your house. So can we just share a room? I will lay down a law in my house that says y'all stay out of each other's rooms. How many people think that's reasonable? Oh, okay. Just so we're clear, because I know that you say you want to avoid sin. You say that you don't want to willfully sin against God. But I also know that you have this affinity and that affinity. So if you don't want to willfully sin against God, and if I just put a little break right here to say, how about you don't stay in the same room? You shouldn't have a problem with that because you say you don't want to willfully sin against God. So we have to deal with the truth. You kind of do want to willfully sin a little bit. Maybe not a lot of bit, but, but a little bit. I mean, if it did happen, I mean, I feel bad, but you already considered the but. You already considered what you stand to gain. In the recesses and the dark places of your mind, you've already considered what kind of good could satisfy you if you slipped up just a little bit. You've already considered how this thing could still say, 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 satisfy and satiate a part in your flesh and soul. So now you're offended because I put rules and regulations based off of patterns and habits that say, and that could lead to sin that say, how about for tonight? You don't share a room. Hello? That's ludicrous. I understand. You can't tell me what I can't do with my own body. You're right. But I can tell you what you're not going to do in this house. Make sense? So go to that pastor house where they let people that have an affinity for one another that could lead to fornication share bedrooms because they're more concerned with you liking them and you paying your good tithes and offerings than they are for the part of you that said you really don't want to sin. I believed you. 
I see you by the spirit and not by the flesh. I'm not regulating your flesh because I think you're fleshly. I'm regulating your flesh because I see you as a spiritual being. To say, hey, how about you don't? Because you desire not to sin. And the last time you slipped up, I was there when you were devastated. I was there when you felt like you couldn't recover. I was there when you felt like you wouldn't be trusted again. And I've seen you grow from that point. And no, it's not time yet. And if you trusted me by the hand to grow you from your last slip up, to get you to the point where you can even fathom that it's time for you to make these kind of decisions. Because you remember when you first slipped up? You remember when it was such a mess? You remember when God really showed you you? You didn't even trust yourself. You didn't trust your decision making. You didn't trust how you felt. You remember how it was you said God pastor I don't even trust myself and I took you by the hand and I said it's gonna be okay and just because now you think that it's time for you to trust yourself the fact that you even got to that point is a testament of your leadership you're even at the place where you think you have enough experience and righteousness of heart to make that type of judgment that's a testimony because I remember when you were so broken. You didn't want no parts of that. You didn't trust yourself to make them kind of decisions. Hello? Amen. And I guided you through it by the Spirit of God, not for my sake, for yours. Amen. And it hasn't changed. It's still for yours. Hello? Amen. Paul goes on to say, he says, is there anyone who has rejected the laws of Moses without, without, uh, dies without mercy on the testimony of two witnesses? What he's explaining here is there used to be a policy that if Moses set a law and two people came up and said, yeah, they said that they don't like that law and they're not going to do it. If that was true, they only got the witnesses because, they did, because you said it wasn't. Uh, you say, uh-uh, I was all for it. I was like, Moses said, do what? I'm doing it. And then two people came up and said, that ain't what you said. When those two people came up, you died without mercy. Because the idea here is when one person, look at how when one person decides to reject the laws of leadership. You can say, but I didn't say it. If two people said it without mercy. But people stand in this house and tell to Moses himself, no. Or I should say Moses herself, no. I'll be like, this is how we know we're in the new covenant, because you're still breathing. This is how we know that you are standing in the new covenant because you are still breathing. Look at you, still waving your hands. Look at you, still clapping, still celebrating. Hello, somebody. And some of y'all even tell me directly, I heard people come and tell me that you weren't going to live it. You never even told me yourself. You just did it anyway. Look how you, you're still living and breathing. How merciful God has been. Hello? Y'all all right? I have so much more to go. I hope you're okay. <laughs> but I probably won't get to it all. I told, I told the Lord we'll go as far as our tiny little souls can handle. 
because there's so much in these next couple of chapters that reveal how you walk. How you walk and how to walk in God. What I find interesting is that he first starts off with sin. He goes in talking about, in earlier chapter 10, about Christ being the sacrifice, about how we walk through the veil that his, his body and how we can come boldly talk before God. And then when he talks about how the just shall live, he talks about sin. And the willingness we have to go down paths of sin. And he talks about the punishment. What was done when people disobeyed Moses' law? Bearing in mind that the law was titled after Moses. Could have said God's law. Did not. It understood and established that the leadership was given to Moses by God. God even told Moses, you'll be like God to Pharaoh. I've established this hierarchy. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy. We read that verse 29. Of how much more punishment do you suppose? He, he, will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified as a common thing? He goes on to say, if that was harsh, Two people come up and say, you did reject Moses' law. You did say you didn't like it and you wasn't going to do it. They would just kill you mercy, mer without mercy, right? No questions asked. Two people got you, you're out. Next. He says, how much more will it be easy to deal with somebody else who's taken and treated the blood of Christ as common? He died and shed his blood to pay for your sins so that you could walk down a path that is closely aligned with sin? It's apparent you think that it's common. Hello, somebody, like a penny on the ground. I don't see you breaking your neck to pick up a penny. Nobody does. Hello? It's common. It's so common that you probably got a hundred of them right now in your pocket or more. Right? Pennies. Yes? So you mean to tell me that when leadership dictates what you should and should not do, that may walk you a little too close to sin. Hello, somebody. You might get a little bit too comfortable because you don't want to treat the blood of Christ common. You don't want to. You want him to know that that is something unique and ain't nobody got time to treat it common. So if sin is there, I'm going to be way over there. Because the fact that I'm right here to sinning speaks indicative of me thinking the blood of Christ is common. Y'all better say amen. Y'all better say, take your man, let me see you say amen, nod your heads. I, I, thank you. Put them back on, because all I see is your eyes. You treat it that it's common. Well, Pastor Durham, she, when she go with her, her boyfriend, her and Dr. Smith, Pastor Durham fast. She fast for days before she see him. So she don't get too close to that line, but she can still have a fellowship. You, you ain't want to fast. You barely want to obey what I say. Because y'all did not meet at night. Because you didn't hold off for today, maybe a week, a month. Oh. Because sin is right there. 
And if the blood of Christ is as valuable as you know that it is to remit and to pay for your sins, then you don't play with sin. You don't walk near it. You don't try to skate the line of it. Sin be here. You'll be on the other side. That seems right to a Christian, doesn't it? That seems like a thing that Christians should do, doesn't it? See how the law is already in your heart, but Satan has a way of beguiling your mind. Because he shows you how the world is participating in sin. So surely this is not as bad as. You're not even supposed to be over there. Hello? Sometimes you don't even know how far off you are until I remind you of what you used to say, what you used to do when you first were on fire for God, what you used to fight for, live for. I used to come and and cry in the presence of God and how I used to be so, see, and then I got to remind you, somebody that knew you before you got beguiled before you start taking in so much worldliness that you can't discern any more good from evil. I used to preach back in the day when I told Greek letter organizations as a former Delta that they shouldn't be that as Christians. And they would say, well, is it a sin? Is everybody that's Greek going to go to hell? I'd be like, I don't know. But I do know one thing. If it has this much demonic attachment to it, why do you want any part of it, Christian? See, it's so simple to see it for somebody else. Like, they should just give that up. I mean, if it's connected to demonic worship, you know, I mean, oh, my goodness. If God just kind of frown at it, like, should you? That should be enough for them to let it go. And some of you have sat in those seminars with me. And amen and priest, yes, if God just frown at it, you should love him so much so that if he just side eye something, you should run from it. You want to please him so much. You want to honor God so much. But all of a sudden, all you think about is you. And somebody has to remind you, this is the you I remember. Look familiar? This is the passionate man of God I saw walk in my door. This is the purposed, fulfilling woman I saw coming in. Hello, somebody. He says, you treat the blood of Christ as common. The blood of the covenant. That's what I love here. Let's be specific. He says, I died that we could have a covenant together. I will pay for all of your sins so that you could have the opportunity to come and commune with me and the Father. Any heart that communes with the Father wants nothing to do with anything that even looks like sin. We want to walk circumspectly. Huh? We don't want our good to be evil spoken of. So if I say, I know you probably sharing that room ain't going to do nothing in my house. But how about we just don't let your good intentions be evil spoken of, dear Christian? Dear Christian. Dear blood covenant taker. Y'all all all right? Woo, take a deep breath. Let it down. 
Roll your shoulders back. God still love you. I still love you. We're going to get through to a nice landing place. We just, we almost there. Hello? He goes on to say something like that. Verses 32 to 38, Paul begins to say, you endured great struggles when you were first illuminated. You endured great struggles with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations. And partly why you became companions of those who were so treated. He said, when you first were illuminated, remember, he's talking to priests. When you first felt the call of God upon your life, he said, you, you, you suffered willingly. And people will call you crazy. And you're a fanatic. And you're taking that church stuff too far. And you're following your pastor too close. And, and you're doing this. And you'd be like, whatever. And, just, and, and you would wear it. He said, you would even be reproached. And you would love it. He said, and people would persecute you. And you love it. And you, you just sit there and shine. Because you knew the truth. And you knew who God was. He said, that used to be you. Because I want to say amen. amen. You used to testify about how God used Moses, to bring you out, to help you through. Hello? That when you didn't know yourself, God used Bell. When you didn't, when I couldn't even, oh, all oh, the illumination. And how you bore the reproach of other people's opinions about your Christian walk and your fire and your thoroughness of spirit. They would say, you're taking it too far. It ain't that deep. It don't take all of that. And you would wear it with such joy when they would reproach you. Paul is saying in verses 26 through 20, what verse is it? Verse 32 to 38, he's trying to say, what happened? You used to joyfully accept the plundering of your goods. Satan would come and wreak havoc on your life. And you used to joyfully accept it. You used to say, that ain't nobody but the devil. And you say it with a grin. Like, I know that ain't nobody but the devil. He just mad. Ain't nobody mad but Satan. And you walk in the house trying to, oh, I got a flat tire, but ain't nobody mad but Satan. Oh, my job is giving me a problem, but ain't nobody mad but Satan. Oh, my family is getting on me, but ain't nobody mad but Satan. And you walk in joyfully. Now you be like, why, God? Why I got to get a flat tire? Why my boss got to do this to me? Why my job got to treat me like that? Why my family can't understand? Why, why, why? Oh, how the tables are turned. You used to be able to see so clearly. But it was just Satan ruffling what he could ruffle. And since you ain't cared nothing about that stuff, you just kept on being joyful. Oh, but something has happened. You begin to care about that money. You begin to care about their opinion. You begin to care about your future. You begin to care about whether you're going to get married or not get married, whether you're going to have money or not going to have money, whether people going to like you or not going to like you. You begin to care so much. So now when Satan starts touching this stuff, you don't even know it's him. Every time they call me trying to get me to fall in love with the house that I'm building, after mine, them, that's God's business. If it's for me, it'll work out. If it ain't for me, it'll work out. But you ain't going to get me to start being mad at God. And whoa, why is this happening to me? And why is the builder talking about this? And why is the lender talking about that? Mm-mm. 
I ain't turning my back on God. It's easier for me just to let that thing roll off my shoulder than participate in y'all stress fest. Now the only one calm in the situation is me. Because Satan's trying to get me to love something that is temporary. He's trying to get me to be impassioned for something that is fleeting. So that when he starts playing with the temporary, which he has access to, and he starts moving at the temporary, which he has access to, it, me, in response, will show my willingness to be moved by what he's doing. So I'm going to touch this and see how you crumble. Uh-huh. And I'm going to touch it again and see how you shake. Uh-huh. And I'm going to touch it again and see how you start re responding. It's a knee-jerk reflection. It's a, you just, I need it before you even thought about it. You heard already done it. He said, because I know I put that seed in you to want it so bad that when I flip that cord, every fiber in your being starts shuddering and shaking. And you start responding before you even know that you're responding. It's the walk for me. When I tell you, let me teach you how to be content in whatever state you're in. You don't want to learn that. Now you're afraid you're going to be single. And he touches that button, and here you go responding. Now you're afraid you ain't going to be successful, and he touches that button, and here you go. And I've been trying to teach you how to be content. And you've been thinking, somehow I'm keeping you from something. Hello? I'm keeping you from the temptation that lies at the door. We're only tempted or led astray by our own desires. So what I'm trying to teach you is how to not desire that so passionately. How not to hold it so tightly that you got to wrestle with God and get your hip knocked out of place before you can learn that God is not the one you wrestle with. You got to have some mark that will never leave you. Some scar that will forever be with you. Because you refuse to learn that you don't wrestle with God. I'm not wrestling with God, I'm wrestling with the pastor. If he put me here, and this is what I said to you today, take that up with him. Do you believe I am the messenger? This is the message. Do you believe I get, got this message? If you feel, feel I did not, take that up with him. Now wrestle with him and I'll step out the way. Let's move on. Hello? Verse 32 to 38. <laughs> he says, when you were illuminated, you, you, you saw all these things. And, and, you, and you became uh, reproached and plundered, but you knew that there was a better and an enduring possession for you in heaven. He says, you knew then that this stuff does not matter that much because this is not the last time I'm going to live, as Sister Glenda said in her prayer. I'm going to live again. And it's all right if I don't get everything I think I'm supposed to have in this life because I'm not living for this life. Hello, somebody. I will live again. So I'm more concerned with the life after this. Hello, somebody. That's why Paul goes on to say, he says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence which has great reward. I didn't cast away my confidence. You said, 
how do I know that it'll be worth it? How do I know that this suffering will be worth it? Huh? And the reason Satan has beguiled you is because you're only thinking about if I give this up, will that be worth it on this life? Ain't nobody trying to train you for this life. But I can tell you it'd be more than worth it for the next. Don't cast away your confidence. It's a great gift that you have. It keeps you safe from being so willing to be used by Satan. My confidence that I will live again, and it's not about this life. My confidence that I don't have to squeeze every ounce of joy out of here like some dying person. Why? Because my Lord has conquered death. When everybody else is, you know, trying to make sure you only live once. No, you only live once. You die over and over and over in an eternity of damnation. I will be raised from the dead in a glorified body with promises that the earth has not seen yet, but mirrors exactly where we're going. Oh, I see it. Hello, somebody. So you only live again. So you have confidence in that, and you throw that away for some trinkets. For this stage, for some of y'all, a marriage is going to be about what? Maybe 40 years, 30 years, because you're starting late. Huh? Not even a full lifetime. But throw it away. Throw your confidence for that trinket. Lose yourself for that relationship. Lose your identity. Now, I'm a single pastor, and I have to talk to other singles because there's a lot of y'all in here. Amen? Amen. 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 Verse 39. Let's read, let's read verse 36. It says, for, uh, this is chapter 10. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. It says, for you have need of endurance, so that after. When do you receive the promise? After what? You've done the what? You've done the what? The will of you? Oh, interesting. You don't get no promises until after you have done the will of God. Seeking after your own will is a dangerous and deceptive move because it puts you on a dog or a rat wheel with a carrot dangling in front of your face with no hopes of ever getting off because you're constantly chasing a reward that is only gonna happen not on your will, W-H-E-E-L, W-I-L-L, but on God's will. You're not gonna get it your way. Pastor, I can't believe that that's what you're gonna say and do. Now I can't, uh-huh. I said, you're upset, I know, because you made a decision, that I made a decision, and it did not go the way you planned. Then I have to say, but should it? Should it go the way you planned? Because if you plan it, then it's your will. If you want to know God's will, that's why I'm here. 
to help guide you through what is the will of God for your life. Hello, somebody. And I can plainly say at this juncture that two people that could virtually walk into sin at points in their time when they are not healed should not be spending any time together. That is a plain will of God because he desires both parties to be whole. You can't trump that. So you don't get a reward of companionship that you so say you desperately want until you've completed the will of God. And every time he lays down his will, you, you, you get that antsy feeling. Hello? Let's move on. Somebody say, it's the walk for me. You really think we could talk about the walk? Without looking at who you're going to walk with? Especially in a room full of singles? I mean, it ain't even just young people. Don't put that on young people. Uh-uh. I'm, I, I, know, I know the mothers. All of them that was unmarried. One's watching us on the Zoom. I know these, it ain't just the young adults. Oh, that's just for them, Pastor P. No! It ain't. Because there's two ways to corrupt mankind. It's to get you to ingest something that will affect your emotions and your flesh. And that way we can have a seed that produces from whomever that is. Actions that come from that. So I know you may be tired of hearing about relationships, but it is these unholy relationships and affinities that has taken us out. Because brothers in the house have become attracted to their sisters. And sisters have become attracted to their brothers. And brothers attracted to brothers. And sisters attracted to sisters. And so thus the body of Christ is in turmoil because no one wants to address it. They either overly spiritualize it or just make it such worldly wisdom that it has no spiritual benefits whatsoever. But it's both. There's wisdom in it and there's spiritualness in it. If you can't see it in the spirit, heed the wisdom. And if you have ever seen it in the spirit, what is your problem? I believe that these are my sheep and by faith, none are wolves. But I have a heavy hand when it comes to predatory actions. When I see you enticing one another to do wrong rather than do good, to show me this, when you, for whatever reason, 
Start seeking somebody to help satisfy you to the point you don't even care what you've become. You don't care if it means that you're gay and a Christian. You don't care if it means that you're a, a whoremonger and a Christian. That's anyone who participates in, that's specifically a male that participates in uh, prostitution and is overly very much so a fornicator. Okay, that's what the word whoremonger means. Whore is the other word. You know what that one is. All right. That's the other one for the ladies. All right. When those actions start becoming something that even the authority of God can't get you to stop. When I beseech you, brethren, I'm going to look at you, Minister Monique, because you're safe. And I say, hey, how about we just stop for a second and give you a chance to heal? How about you stop? Y'all let it, y'all sisters, so this fine. <laughs> y'all stop and let each other heal. Do you understand? And you both say, okay, Pastor, that's great. We don't have a problem. But if you say, nah, we have a problem. Because Satan is trying to get you to produce his will. It is not just about you and your destiny. He wants to know how susceptible you are anytime he needs a candidate. You want to know why you keep having the same test? Because he's pulled your card. He knows what you won't do that I instruct you to do that makes you a viable candidate for the same thing. If you had a plan, a weak area, and attacking a kingdom, wouldn't you go through the same weak spot until it was fortified? So if I say, hey, I see how Satan keep getting you all confused. I see how he keep beguiling your mind. I, 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 I know you don't mean to do it, but I can see how he gets you. Come on, take me by my hand, let's go. That's what I, okay, thanks. And when you can't do that, the Bible indicates that we turn such over to Satan. And I say something like, maybe you should take some time away from the church. Go explore all of the avenues that you feel you have a right to explore. With the hopes that when you come back, you'll be like, the word is true. Satan thought he had me, but I got away. I thought I knew something. I ain't know. That was some good stuff you was telling me to do. Now, what you going to tell me to do this time? And you'll be like, Minister Monifa, that says, Pastor, I'm going to lay this before your feet. She is mature in the Lord. This is what I feel like God is calling me to do with my life at this point. I'm going to lay this, what say ye? I think that's great, Minister Monifa. Go forth. If she can do it, you with your hiccup, skip up self, ain't got no excuse to disobey. Yeah. Out of all the ministers that have not been set down, not been asked to leave, or not left, it's her and Minister Hudson. Out of an intake of 12, the first batch. Because if you're called, then there's a way to serve God. And it shouldn't look like you're serving yourself every doggone time. So when she 
wanted to do something that she could feel would enhance her calling. She submitted it to me to say, I don't want to do this on my own accord just to benefit me. Do you also see how this could benefit the body of Christ, our local church? And I said, absolutely, because that's what Christians do. We submit one to another. We talk about how the thing we're getting ready to participate in is going to advance the kingdom, not how it's going to fulfill our soulish and fleshly desires. Well, we got real conversation about how the body of Christ is going to be built up better for it, how the local church is going to be more established and more firm, how chains are going to fall off our church and our believers. We have conversation about spiritual things and not about natural. You want me to stop preaching on the natural? Then get on my level and get spiritual because you have the spirit of God. You just don't want to act like it. That way was made open for you too. To go right to his throne. So we can stop having conversations about laws that you don't want to fulfill. But we can have conversations about agreeing things that need to happen so that we can continue to move forward in the body of Christ and we can be further equipped. What a wonderful conversation that would be. But every day it's about your flesh. some aspect of you that needs to be appeased and satiated. I'm starting to wonder, where do you come from? Because kingdom-minded people belong to the kingdom. I understand you messed up, but heed me now. Hear me and heed me. I didn't even thinking about what? There you go. So it's always about the kingdom. See that kind of thought right there is the reason why you keep messing up. If it ain't always about the kingdom, why are you here as a believer? To what home do you plan on returning to? I have a home. That's what we're going to get to next. Hello? Verse 39 says, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Paul is trying to say, come on, you believers. Come on, I know you messed up, but we're not going to give up. We're not going to lose heart because we didn't see it right. Can you know how hard this is for people that participated in crucifying Jesus to hear him say, but don't draw back. Don't give up. I know I'm laying it thick about how holy God is and how unholy you were and how righteous God is and how unrighteous you were and how much of a standard he has and how common you treated him. I know I'm landing on thick, but dear believer, don't you draw back to damnation. Don't you put your head down and start giving up. We are not those that draw back. We are those that move forward with great confidence. tried to say that he was preaching to a bunch of people who love God and made a grave mistake. And he's trying to explain to them, we're not them. Come on, Israel. We're not them. 
Come on, believers. I know. When Pastor lay it out like that, well, doggone. But don't draw back. Huh? Why? Verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1 says it. Now, faith, and we're going to close here. <laughs> now, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made visible, uh, were not made of things which are visible. Stop right there for a second. So he goes into sin. He talks about Christ, Christ's sacrifice, how he's the ultimate sacrifice, how he's the high priest, how that covenant was taken in his blood. And then he talks about how we treat his blood common. Like it was a light thing for God to come down and die on the cross for us. And, we, and then he talks about willful sin and how we just walk too close to the line. And we need to just come away from that and really fully accept what we've done wrong and fully accept that we need to do better. Right? Yeah. Do you see that? And then he says... Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. This is when he begins to discuss how we walk. But before we could discuss how we walk, you had to see how you wasn't walking. How far off from faith you really were. And then he's going to give us a teaching on what it means to walk by faith because it's the walk for me come on and say it it's the walk for me so he began to give a teaching on faith now watch what he says Paul says for now faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen we've preached this 50 million times you've heard it preached 50 million times I'm going to make it 50 million and one all right but it's something very clear about this he says what you hope for is different than what you have faith for. By, by definition, faith is different than hope, right? Faith is the substance of the things you hope for, right? The evidence of things that you don't see, right? So they're not the same thing. They're related, but not the same. Hope and faith are related, but not the same, right? Let's look at that relationship. So he says, when it comes to hoping for something, you could hope for a lot of stuff. Huh? It'd be, ooh, I hope the war in Ukraine stop. Yeah? How many people hope for that? Hello? Now, when you do something that reflects that hope, that is faith. Wait, let me do it again. Everybody hopes for something. Okay? Man, I hope I hope I hope they have pizza for lunch tomorrow. Man, I hope I hope my boss let me get off early. Hello? I I, I hope I hope it won't be no traffic on Highway 75. Hello? I hope everybody hope for something. That could be internal. You can have a hope inside. No one knows it. I hope you fall and bust your head. <laughs> You can have a hope that nobody knows. Faith is not that. Faith reveals what that hope is. If you hope that there's no traffic on 75, you get on what? 
75. <laughs> I just talk, I just talked to this side. <laughs> if I hope that there's no traffic on 75, then faith says I will get on 75 as evidence of the hope that I had that there was no traffic on 75. Because you still got on it, only be like, oh, it was traffic. Hello, somebody. Or you got on it, like, oh, it wasn't. Ooh, my hope came true. Hello? But either way, faith is when you actually get on 75 based on the hope. People are like, no, you hope for it, but then you get on 25. No. That <laughs> <laughs> then that just stays hope. <laughs> and there was no faith. What Mother Bell described is you had hope there's no traffic on 75, but you had no faith. I would ask, but I know the answer is going to be no. So you still have a hope, but you have no faith. Oh, y'all don't want to preach. Y'all don't want to preach today. Everybody got hopes. Hello, somebody. But not everybody got faith. Y'all don't want to play fair today. Everybody got a desire and a will, but not everybody starts saying, you know what? Let me put some weight on that thing. Let me start showing people. You're going to look stupid. I'm going to look stupid if it don't work, but I can't have no faith, and I need to walk by faith. You didn't ask because you thought they wouldn't. So it remained a hope with no faith because you didn't want to look stupid. Now you're a coward with a hope and no faith. Don't blame it on the boss. Don't blame it on the institution. God gave you faith. But you were too afraid to multiply that talent. You were too afraid to trade with that talent. So you hid the one that you had and you put it in the ground. Come on, somebody. And when they come back to say, well, there's the one you gave me. Meanwhile, the rest of us is out here trying to utilize what we got. I may look stupid. Okay, that didn't work. But at least you know what I was hoping for. I was hoping that was going to work. I was hoping you could tell what I was hoping for. I was hoping I was going to be free. You could tell what I was hoping for. I was hoping I was going to work out in my favor. I was hoping, I was hoping, and we see it by your works. You hope to have a life that is surrendered to God, I will see it by your works. So when I say, hey, how about you don't do that right now? And you can't say, sure. Then you got hope to have a life that is surrendered to God, but you ain't got no faith to kind of... Oh, the just shall live by faith. You got hope, baby. You got hope that I'll be free. I hope that God will deliver me. I hope that I get it right. I hope that I won't mess up again. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. But now it's time to start putting some faith on that. Let me see your hope. Let me see the action of your faith. That's why cowards, according to the book of Revelation, don't enter the kingdom of heaven. Because it takes courage. Because someone, you're going to bear the reproach of what other people think. Out there looking stupid. Doing a live. Ain't nobody going to watch that. Well, maybe not. Okay? Maybe we'll start off with three or four people. But it, before my mother passed, it was up. Maybe the Lord might take it back up again. Hello, somebody. Why? Because I want to be instant famous? No. Because we need to reach people. 
with this kind of word. You may not believe in me, but I do. I believe in God and what he put in me. And I take confidence in that. And my confidence don't take away from yours. I try to add to your confidence. God wants to do something great in you. That he sees the purpose and it's not too late. That if he's calling you, he's trying to teach you how to walk in it. And that means walking by faith and not just hope. I know what you're hoping for by what you do. So if I tell you, let me go back over here where we're safe. Sorry, not that you're not safe, you know, but anyway. So if I tell you two that y'all don't need to be doing that, and you hope that the Lord will use you mightily, then I should see you by faith agreeing with that and not doing it. And when one of my sheep can't see it, or both of my sheep can't see it, I try to encourage you. Hey, come on now. The Lord's got great things. Hey, come on now. But you mistake my encouragement of all the purpose and plans that he has for you as somehow your rightness. Like, no, remember me? I was the one with great purpose, so I didn't get this wrong. I did, did, did right. No, 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 no. With all the purpose that you have in your belly, you are not living by faith. You're living by hope. Hello? And when we do see actions, you see actions on the side that we shouldn't see actions on. Who's to say what that side is? Me! It's been passed down from every apostle to every pastor to every evangelist to every missionary. We draw your lines. You have a problem with that? Don't come to Christianity because it's made up of boundaries. He says, by faith, we understand the words were front. The world were framed by the word of God. We're going to close on this verse. By faith, we understand that the world or the ages, some translations say, were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. I love this because if you're a Bible scholar and you love to study, I don't mean old word Greek Hebrew, okay? That's the only thing people know about Bible scholarship. There's plenty of other things. But you could see the links and connections in the word frame and seen. By the word of God, the ages were framed so that the things that are seen were made by the things that were not seen. So seen and seen and frame are trying to give you a mental picture. Yes? Of pictures and frames. <laughs> what if all of the ages, ages means dispensations, Old Testament, New Testament, these are ages, Bronze Age, Iron Age, Information Age, Biotech Age. If all the ages, okay, if you had all of them from beginning to end laid out in front of you, yes? 
And while you looked away, somebody came in and tried to lay down new ages. Like just start mixing in stuff. Huh? Like just start throwing stuff in. And so now it's the ages that you laid out plus some enemy that when you weren't looking, threw their ages in as well. Their events and their outcomes and their situations. Hello, somebody. And they just threw that stuff in the mix on your tabletop. Hello? So what faith is saying here in Hebrews is that God framed the ages. So in essence, with all of this stuff that is happening in the world, here is where I want this age to look. Here is where I want you to look. You got the Ukraine, you got the Biden, you got the gas prices, you got the COVID, you got, you got, you got all this stuff. Uh-huh. And this is where I want this age to look. I'm going to frame, as you scan through the ages, where you're supposed to be looking. Because it appears as if somebody's trying to change times. That's called Satan. The Antichrist tries to change times, ages. Hello, somebody. So I'm trying to frame it so that the believers, if they ever are walking around and things are moving too fast, and I end up going somewhere before I had a chance to decide, and my knee starts jerking before I even know I was over there, and my hand slips out, he says, I'm going to give you a frame of reference that if you ever get wandering around because the tempest is raging, just pull back and look at the frame. This is what you're supposed to be focused on. I'm preaching better than y'all acting today. Y'all better say amen. Oh, y'all so mean. Y'all ain't giving me no stand-ups. You ain't giving me no amens. You just sitting on your tail. There's a, there's a perspective that he wished it on. Thank you. Sit on down. There's a, there's a frame, a reference point that he desires for you to have in the midst of all of this tempest. Well, I don't understand why pastor won't focus. Well, I don't understand why I just can't focus. And what am I supposed to do with the food and the gas? Focus. There's a perception that he wants you to have because that is how you're going to live and walk by faith. And when you believe in that framed image, then your actions come from that. Pastor, it look like the, the, loan, the lenders are messing up. It'll be all right. My perspective is framed. It looks like you may not. It'll be all right. My perspective is framed. It looks like you might not have kids. It'll be all right. My perspective is framed. It looks like you may never get married. It'll be all right. My perspective is framed. This is not my world. My view is already framed. The word framed also indicates in root to build upon. It plays in symbolism and metaphor with the idea of seen and unseen. But in definition, in original Hebrew or Greek, it points to building, like the backbone of a construction site, the steel beams, or the foundation of a house. What I prefer to look at it, is anybody a puzzler as we close? Anybody a puzzler? 
since my mother passed a year and a half ago or so, I have been big on puzzles. It's a tiny dopamine release I get every time a puzzle piece clicks into place. If I pick a thousand piece puzzle, I get a thousand dopamine releases. And then one big one when it's all done. It's like, ooh, that's where it goes. Click, oops, <laughs> click, ooh. click, ooh, there it is. Click, ooh, that does go there. Click, ooh, and I love puzzling. Couple months ago for Christmas, or right before Christmas, Lakeisha bought me the world's impossible puzzle. Now what made the puzzle impossible is that it has no edges. That means no frame. And any true puzzler knows that the way to expedite puzzling is you got to do the frame what? Everybody knows that. You got to do the frame first. And for you non-puzzlers, let me try to break down why, okay? Because when you have the frame, you know a starting point. You know where you can start. Because sometimes you be looking at two pieces and you be like, these go together. And you don't know they don't go together until the third piece come along. And you be like, oh, these don't, these don't even go together. And the, 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 the fear of the puzzler is, I'm going to start putting pieces that don't go together together. I'm going to start looking at things that connect that are not supposed to connect. I'm going to think I'm going in one way only to find out I'm off course and that wasn't even a tree. It was a doggone dog's fur. And every puzzle knows you waste time not doing the edges because you need to start from something that you know fits. I don't tell you you need to obey Moses' law as a pastor. No, not his law, but, you know, me as Moses in the New Testament covenant. Obey my wisdom and my advice because I want to be mean or even that I think I'm right. It's a fearful thing. I don't want to mess nobody's life up. But I tell you, so that you have a starting point. Before you start framing and building the rest of your life, we need to make sure you've got yourself a good anchoring place that this piece goes to this piece and that piece goes to that piece. And if you try to put this piece right here, it don't go. Why? Because it don't fit with the frame piece beside it. So you don't waste no time like the rest of these people wandering around, wasting years of their lives, not really coming to the full knowledge of Christ. I say, hey, I know that fits your desire, but does it fit what the definition of love is? Nope, throw it away. I know it fits your, your, your desire for money and security, but does it fit your calling? No, throw it away. The boundaries that are established in the household of faith is so that you might have a sure anchor as you begin to build and frame. The puzzle that, that Sister Lakeisha got me, it's called the impossible puzzle. I said for two reasons. The first, it has no edges. There's no straight, and when we say frame, because some pieces of the frame are flat. So straight line everywhere, all the way around, like a square. So one side of every puzzle piece on the outside is flat. So you know that's the outside. All the other pieces are not flat anywhere in them. Yes? This piece has no frame. 
that means you just can't anchor nothing. You just start putting stuff, and then it has the audacity to have five extra pieces. It's as if somebody just threw in extra stuff to throw you off. You give me no frame, and then you put in five extra pieces that I could be sitting here trying to figure out if this fits my life or not, trying to figure out if this fits the direction that I'm going, and I've wasted years, 15 minutes to an hour, working on one piece that don't even go in the puzzle. Hello, somebody. So it's called an impossible puzzle. And when Keisha first presented it to me and I read the box, I don't think she knew what she was getting me. She didn't. She was like, I looked at her and said, Keisha, why you brought me this crap? Puzzles are supposed to be fun. This is stressful. You better take something fun and make it stressful. I know she was looking at me like, calm down, Pastor. It was a gift. You are so ungrateful. Sorry about that. Because that's what I was thinking. I've started to be more grateful. I'm sorry. Thank you, Lakeisha. That was very sweet of you. But this is going to be stressful. Let me tell you something. That puzzle is the easiest puzzle I've ever done. I know. It's the most fun. I know. It brings to to light everything I love about doing puzzles. When I finally got rid of the impossibility of it. And I approached it by faith and said, this cannot beat me. I am a puzzler. And if there is an impossible puzzle out there, then it was designed for the very purpose for me as a puzzler to conquer it. So I, by faith, dumped all those puzzle pieces out, and I, by faith, began to sort these puzzle pieces, and there was no frame, and there was no edges, and I knew that some of these pieces aren't even supposed to be sorted, and I am wasting my time sorting them, but nonetheless, When I tell you I'm a beast on this puzzle, is anybody seeing my house? Tell them, tell them I'm a beast on this puzzle. It's like click, 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 done. I was trained first by puzzles with frames and puzzles with exact mixes. And I was trained by them by the thousands upon thousands. Oh, come on, y'all don't wanna play fair today. I don't think you should bark, go jumping into an impossible puzzle as a first time puzzler. But I do think that those who have been trained by puzzling, who have been used to knowing what to look for, first they got the edges. And then as they move from the edges, they can start figuring out the details of what was needed. Hello, somebody. Because when it comes to this impossible puzzle, there is no blue piece that you can see. This, this, is, this is the part of what framing and being trained by the law does. Is you need to put this frame together. Let's just start with where you are, not the impossible side yet. All right? Put this frame together. And you have to believe that the pieces that go in this frame will be there when you need them. As of yet, there's nothing in your frame. 
Hello? And God, who, play, who created things by things, the things that are made by things that were not seen. The joy of being a puzzler with the frame is that you get to practice your faith. That I don't know what this is, but I know this goes there. And I don't know what's going to come down from that, but I just believe that this goes there. And I believe that this goes there. And I believe that this goes there. And where are the rest of these pieces? How am I going to find that one blue purple piece in the midst of these thousands of pieces over here? I don't even have to worry about that. All I know right now is this piece goes here. And this piece goes here. And this piece goes here. And he says that just as that's how you live by faith, that is how I created everything that you're sitting in. That even though you don't see how it's all going to work together, it becomes true and informed and in sight as you just put one piece that you know that goes together and another piece that you know that goes together. And when you need that blue piece, baby, don't you worry about it. That blue piece will be right there when you get to it. When you need that spouse, don't you worry about it. That spouse will be right there. When you need that job, don't you worry about it. That job will be right there. Well, you need that friend. Don't you worry about it. By faith, you just keep clicking your pieces. You keep working on your frame. You keep getting your anchor together. Come on, somebody. Standing all over the house.